Hi, I'm Dan Primack, host of Axios Recap. Today, we're bringing you the latest episode in our special Hard Truths series on structural racism. I'll now turn it over to my Axios colleague, Nyla Boodoo. Hi, I'm Nyla Boodoo of Axios Today, and welcome to our special Saturday Hard Truths edition, examining systemic racism in the U.S. Today, the obstacles two Black Latinas had to overcome when they chose to start their own businesses in the overwhelmingly white marijuana industry. In 2018, almost 700,000 people in the U.S. were charged for possession of marijuana. Black people were almost four times more likely to be arrested for possession than white people, despite the fact that both groups use marijuana at similar rates. For a long time, Because of the so-called war on drugs of the 80s and 90s, these disparities were the primary story of marijuana and people of color in the U.S. But now that story is changing. As marijuana is legalized in more states across the U.S. and growing into a multi-billion dollar industry, Black entrepreneurs are trying to reclaim the plant that crushed their communities for so long. Black entrepreneurs like Gia Moron. I saw this as an opportunity to say, if I watch people in my community get arrested for this, why can't I help people in my community enter from the legal, quote unquote, right, governmental legal standpoint of this and seeing where we can seek those opportunities? Gia runs her own PR firm, GVM Communications, offering public relations services for marijuana businesses. She started her company in 2012 after working at Goldman Sachs for 15 years. Three years after starting her company, she moved into the marijuana industry. This was in 2015, when 27 states and D.C. had either legalized medical marijuana or decriminalized marijuana possession. But it was and still is illegal at the federal level. So entering that space meant carrying the stigma of working in what many still considered to be an illegal business. My gut never said, stop. What my gut said is that be prepared that you're going to get a lot of flack, but keep going. Shonda Macias faced the same stigma. I was studying breast cancer in women and prostate cancer metastasis to bone during um, undergrad and graduate school. So during all this research, they were telling me, oh, cannabis is an alternate form of therapy and has a therapeutic value. And I went to my advisor and he said, if you want to study it, just go ahead and walk to the prison down the street. <laughs> Shonda came into this industry as a medical professional. She wanted to make medical marijuana accessible for people of color. Now she's the owner of National Holistic Healthcare running a medical marijuana dispensary in Washington, D.C., and two facilities in Louisiana to grow and process the plant. I was ostracized by my own scientific community telling me that I just shouldn't give up my life for this health care benefit. On today's Juneteenth holiday, a day that commemorates the end of slavery in the U.S., we're bringing you the story of these two women trying to break ground in the cannabis industry and to bring other women of color along with them. Shonda, Gia, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. We're excited to be here. Yes, yes, this is fantastic. What did the cannabis space look like when both of you were first starting? 
I just remember I started in 2011 and there were still raids going on. So it was a definitely a different environment to what we have today, which is a highly regulated marketplace. And it was a lot of fear, especially come from a woman of color, just from my community and the, the impact on the war on drugs, which disproportionately impacted the African-American male to create a pipeline to prison. So we were scared. And that's why a lot of us still haven't entered the industry today, because we're still targeted. And for me, I, I entered the industry in 2015. I had already had GVM Communications and decided to expand in my client coverage in 2015 to start taking on cannabis clients. But I was hiding that. I was afraid of that information getting out that I would end up losing the current clients that I had because the stigmas were still so strong, especially in 2015. I took a huge risk in expanding because it felt like it was the right thing to do. I wanted to be a part of this emerging industry, but definitely at the risk of potentially losing the clients and the business that I already had. As a woman of color taking that risk, what does that look like? When I first started in terms of expanding into the industry, I had a daughter that was in college. I had to tell her, hey, listen, mom's going, you know, expanding into the cannabis industry. This is what I want to do. She actually asked me to keep it a secret. Um, and I thought, wow, okay, uh, this is the same kid I told to not consume early on. And, you know, when I thought it was an unsafe thing to do. So I still felt like the stigma was so heavy, especially for me. I'm not just a woman of color. I'm a woman from New York City, Brooklyn, New York, who grew up during the crack epidemic, whose father was a New York City police detective, right? And so you talk about all things that you're told not to do, and then I go into it. I risked my family, I risked my business, I risked my career and my reputation. She's so much better than me. I was just afraid. <laughs> I had a young child and um, parents wouldn't let my child play with them because they thought that his mother was a drug dealer. So it's a lot of um, shame involved that was projected on me be because of my beliefs. I was deemed as a respectable professional before I touched the plant. And then from there, I was definitely ostracized in my community. I was raised in a family full of law enforcement officers. Everything we're taught is not to not, not to touch any drugs, right? All drugs. But the, the subject of marijuana came up often, right? Why? Because we, we saw in our very own communities people being arrested for it. Or you're hearing about a relative or your neighbor and so everything about that said not to get involved. And you do become, you move from professional and respected to drug dealer, as Shonda said. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the financial hurdles GN Shonda had to overcome in the cannabis industry. Welcome back to Hard Truths. I'm Nyla Boudou. 
The stigma that Shonda Macias encountered as a black woman entering the cannabis space was just the first obstacle she'd face. As soon as she decided to apply for a medical marijuana license, she realized just how big the financial risk was. It wasn't just the $8,000 it takes to apply for a license in Washington, D.C. It was leasing a storefront, paying cultivators for the plant, and hiring employees. These are costs that any small business owner has to worry about. But marijuana is still illegal federally, which means Shonda couldn't go to a bank and take out a loan. She either had to find a private investor or fund the entire business herself. I consider myself a highly educated person. I have a bachelor's in science. I have a PhD. I have an MBA. And I've launched $2 billion brands. And when I was starting my dispensary with a proven track record of running small businesses, I was not able to get private equity to invest in me. I got a second mortgage on my home and I had to pay and bootstrap everything myself. We have to like fight for every penny, if not come up for ourselves. And that's where the disparity is. That's why there's less than 4% of African-Americans in ownership in the cannabis industry today. You, you overcame it by tapping your individual resources. How can there be room for other Black women, other people of color to get into this industry? Well, I'll start by changing policies. For example, if we can get access to loans and um, commercial lending, that would help us in this narrative. So right now we have the Safe Banking Act, which is a federal bill that is proposed that will let us actually bank in the bank like everyone else. Um, right now we're a cash-only industry. And to show that we generate a certain income and we qualify as being small business owners to be able to have commercial loans. Right now, we have to get our funding from just private equity or angel investors. And that is um, historically has been tough for our population and even more impossible in cannabis, which is illegal. A lot of people still don't want to touch us. So again, because this is an illegal substance in the eyes of the federal government, you have to operate without banks. How do you manage your almost 100 employees outside of the banking system? We pay people in cash. There's some small payroll services that will let us work under a certain amount. And there's some banks that will let us put some amounts of monies in the bank, but we can't withdraw them out without uh, incurring penalties, et cetera. And when I say penalties, we're talking about 2500 as a, a penalty a month. So these are, for a small business owner like myself, this is what makes it impossible for me to work in the cannabis industry. And this is why I have to keep finding creative and innovative ways to survive, knowing that I'm not getting the investors where my white counterparts are. And the other piece I'd like to add, so Shonda touched on the, the safe banking piece. You know, we also, there's another legislative piece called the MORE Act. Its whole point is to help decriminalize, right? So once we're able to decriminalize it, create a federal social justice reform that really changes the landscape for the industry. 
when you're a small business owner, every dollar counts and every dollar matters. If I'm having to pay out five, $10,000 worth of fees, what have you, whether a month, a year, that really affects my bottom line. So we have to be very careful just even in the banks that we are uh, working with. Yeah, because I will tell you this, Gia, we had three bank accounts shut down this week. We were just talking about that. Without explanation, our bank accounts were shut down. And that meant that we had to scramble to find a new bank. And we have to do everything before the deadline of the old bank is shutting our accounts down and transfer everything to a new account and to a new bank. But that's something very common in the industry. Can you imagine that on a day-to-day basis of not knowing? 36 states have so far legalized marijuana for medical or recreational purposes. But Shonda and Gia continue to operate in this gray area where federal law complicates their businesses. The system, as we've heard, made it hard for them to enter the industry as people of color, which explains in part why 81% of business owners in this multi-billion dollar industry are white. Shonda and Gia mentioned two pieces of legislation that could change the way the system works. The Safe Banking Act would ensure that banks and credit unions could take on cannabis businesses without federal penalties. It was reintroduced to a new Congress this year. And the MORE Act would decriminalize marijuana federally and create programs targeted at rebuilding the Black and Latino communities that were hit hard by the war on drugs. Gia and Shonda hope these laws will help other entrepreneurs like them. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. This episode was produced by Nuria Marquez-Martinez and edited by Alexandra Boti. Alex Sugiara is our sound engineer. Special thanks to Axios Denver reporter John Frank, Axios executive editor Sarah Kehilani-Gu, Hard Truths editor Michelle Salcedo, and executive producer Dan Popkoff. We've got so much more about many other aspects of systemic racism when it comes to business. Visit axios.com. And tell us what you think. You can email us at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter. You can always message me at Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we're back with the news on Monday.